The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in this weekend. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze Radio Network where you come for the accent, where you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful and blessed week, weekend. We survived just about over here. It's it's been a it's been an interesting week. There's a lot of news to discuss today. We have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you about about your character today. I want to talk to you about some economic issues that I've seen going on and that you you've probably heard in the news. But I want to break it down in very simple terms of why I think this is a big deal. And I'm also going to address a letter I got over the I got this about two weeks ago. It's about two weeks ago now. And someone called me out. And someone has seen a flaw in my thinking. And this email wasn't very complimentary. But I want to adri- I want to address it with you. And I want to deal with, with, with you. And it's relevant to some of the topics that have been discussed online today. But we'll get to that later in the show. I want to start today by talking to you about... Asking you a question about yourself. And I think it's an important question... We have to acknowledge that the answers are very different in society today for every one of us. And that question is, who or what defines you as a person? You know, we live in a world in 2018 where everyone wants to define someone else. And a lot of people are struggling to define who they are. They don't know who they really are. They don't know who they want to be. They don't know what they want. They're, they're kind of in limbo. We have a section of society who, which doesn't see the world in a very positive way right now and is kind of down on it. There's a lot of people who think the world as we have it right now, is, this is pretty much as good as it's going to get. That it's just all about survival. There are others who, who don't want to dream and others who have just been beaten up by so badly by life that they've just accepted this is the way it always is. Everyone wants to make you and define you and say exactly what you are. Whether you notice consciously or or subconsciously, this is happening. It's in every part of our society. You know, people in business will want to identify each and every one of you as a consumer. They want you to be a consumer. They want you to buy their products. They want you to spend more with them. They want you to be a loyal customer. They're, they work very hard, you know, at these brand loyalties. They like having you as a customer. You see all these rewards to be a customer. Politicians on all sides of the aisles see you as a voter. See you as, as someone to, to get an agenda passed. Or they see you as a, as a, as a dollar sign. You know, give me money. Are you a good contributor to your party? Are you a good contributor to to your candidates? Are you a good contributor on the ground? You know, other politicians will see you if you're more involved in the on on the ground. You know, in these in these primaries that are going to start happening now over the next coming weeks and months. You know, someone might see you as a grassroots activist. They'll try and define you that way. Liar, lawyers and other people will view me as a client. Police might view me as a suspect. Shopkeepers want to see me as a customer. Television companies and and companies like Netflix view me as a subscriber, as a viewer, as 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 a person who views their content. And even our sports teams view me as a fan. 
All these companies and organizations are trying to define who I am. And they're trying to define who I am by seeing what exactly I buy. And they're trying to make elements and assumptions based on my purchases. We do this all the time. Even companies that you have nothing to do with do this in this world today. If you ever Google search something, I did this a couple of weeks ago. I was looking for flights and I had a hotel for someone. And I literally Googled the hotel to see what the availability was like. Within a couple of minutes of me just looking up that hotel, I was getting ads in the Google AdSense on different sites. I think even one of them was on the Blaze. Ad for this hotel. I was like, they're trying to define me. They're trying to get to them. But we also do it to ourselves. Because I would ask you just to look around at the world today and look at how many people define themselves by something that in my eyes is totally arbitrary, something totally irrelevant in many ways that doesn't define you. It just, you think it does. How many people today are defined by their race? And this is on all sides. How many people are defined, well, I'm black and that means something. Am I saying you shouldn't be proud of being black? No. But their, the whole de- the definition and of their character is defined by a color. I'm seeing this now over the last 18 months in America. I have, I've never seen this. I'm proud to be white. I've seen some of my friends say this. I, I understand in some ways why they're saying it, but I look at myself, I'm, I'm white. But am I really white? I'm not really white. I'm more cream or beige. I, I, I look at me and I... I look at me and I look at a white piece of paper and I've, I'm like, there's nothing in common with us. But for me, my whiteness doesn't define who I am. You have other people who are defined today by their gender. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a woman, I'm a feminist. I'm, a, I'm, I'm defining this, and me too, and time's up. They're defined by their gender. I'm a man, so I, I must act a certain way. Okay. Now I know people might listen to this if you don't like me or you don't like my point of view you'll be able to say well of course you don't see things through through your gender you have straight male privilege. Okay. I've never seen any privilege I have because I'm a man. Sorry. There's others who will go well I'm defined by my sexuality who I sleep with. I happen to sleep with men. Oh good for you. You're awesome. You're defined by that. I sleep with women. It's, 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 we're defined by it. You see other people been totally defined by their religion. But John, is that, that's, that's, is that a bad thing? I'm not saying any of these are bad. I'm saying this is what society is doing. I'm getting to a larger point. I'm defined by my religion. I'm a Catholic. I see things through Catholic eyes. I'm a Protestant, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Mormon. Yet they don't see the bigger picture. Because what I'd ask you, and excuse my voice, my voice is, it's, it's really cold over here. If you're, you know what I, I struggle with the cold. But I'd ask you just to think about any of those. And let's just go through all the list I just went through to you. And I said, I want you to visualize this person. And just visualize as I'm saying it, and paint a picture of this person. They shop in your favorite store. They buy some of your products that you buy on a regular basis. They vote a certain way. They watch certain shows on Netflix. They're a fan of certain sports teams. They're your gender. They're your race. They sleep with the same people you do. They find the same people attractive. You do. Can you tell me one characteristic of that person? Today, that tells everything so many people want to know. Oh, how do you connect? What defines you? The picture I painted, I'm sure they're a fundamentally nice person, but I don't know very much about that person. I need to know more. Because for many, that is what you're defined by. So let's take me as an example. 
I'm a sports team of if you if you follow me on social media, you know I am a big supporter of the New York Yankees. Does my support for the New York Yankees tell you anything about who I am as a person? Anything. By the way, every American should love the New York Yankees. They're the exceptional team in America sports. 27 times the world champion. I don't need to go into a bigger argument. And I know I've just peed off a lot of listeners right now. But it's baseball season and I'm excited. But does my support for the New York Yankees define me? Nope. Does any of the sports teams I support define me? Nope. Does my whiteness define me? Nope. Does the fact I'm a man define me? Nope. Heck, does the fact I am a man who is straight, who finds women attractive and doesn't find guys attractive, does that define me? Nope. Does the fact I shop in certain supermarkets define me? Nope. Does the fact I like certain shows on Netflix, you know, some sci-fi shows, I love Star Wars, does that define me? Nope. That I love superhero movies? Nope. That I love all these new things on Netflix? You know, series like Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil. Does that define who I am? Have I told you anything about me? Have I told you something in the last 10 minutes about my character that I haven't done over the last two years, three years, depending on how long you're listening or or following my work? This is what people are defined by today. They see this cult of personality and they only focus in on that. That's the choice you have. How about we actually have conversations with ourselves about what we really want to define ourselves by? How about a set of principles, a set of guidelines, a way of living? You see, what I've just spoken about for the last 10 minutes, in my eyes, tells you nothing new about me. It tells you nothing about who I am. It doesn't tell you anything to do with my life. Now, I'm sure if there's some market research specialist listening or, or some you know, profiler listening. They might be able to, to gauge some things. You know, he likes that show. Well, he, he, he acts this way. He talks this way. He might be more conservative than liberal. I'm sure there's some maybe common teams that you might be able to pull, but it doesn't define me. It doesn't tell you who I am. My actions tell you who I am. My deeds, my words should tell you who I am. You can't take anything I've just said and went, I wonder what John's position on free speech would be. What does he watch? What does John watch? Because that'll tell you what his position on free speech is. What's John's position on um, economics? Does he, like, does he like socialism? Does he like communism? Does he like a Chinese hybrid model? Does he, does he like capitalism? Does he like free markets? Well, well I wonder where, what sports clubs does John support? It's, it's ludicrous, right? Yet today we are defined by everything that means absolutely nothing and everything that actually means something we ignore or we just cast aside or we're told it's irrelevant. Who and what do you want to be defined by? By, your, by a set of characteristics that in many ways you can't control or by something that actually matters. The reason I've been talking about the principles that I have been for the longest time is because there are certain principles that are eternal. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about how you get a big tent. It's not by compromising those values. It's by sharing those values with more people. The great thing about a lot of the stuff we talk about here is everything I just said, it doesn't matter who you support. They're the same rules for everyone. It doesn't matter your gender. Same rules for everyone. It doesn't matter your race. It's the same rules for everyone. It doesn't matter your sexuality. It's the same rules for everyone. Why? Because the stuff we talk about on this show are eternal principles. They're not principles for white people or straight people. They're not principles given by government. They weren't some principles signed by some king's decree. They weren't passed by some referendum. They were spoken about as inalienable rights. You were born with these rights. These rights that all men are created equal. And you're endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One of the things I'm trying to do, and I don't know how, 
I'm trying to wreck my brains. If you have any ideas, please get in touch with me. I read some recent polls over the last couple of weeks of the amount of Americans who think they know the Bill of Rights, but actually don't. You see all these polls of, I think it was, I think the, the poll that frightened me the most was, I think it was like 6% of Americans know about the right to bear arms. 6%. 6% know about the right to bear arms. That's the Second Amendment. The numbers were a bit higher in the First Amendment. I think it was, I'm going to butcher these numbers, I'm just going off the top of my mind, but I think it was 30% knew about the right to free speech. 30 30% of Americans know about the right to free speech. The least one, which I found ironic in, in the world that you live in where government is so king, I think it was 4% knew about the right in the First Amendment to petition your government. How can we have conversations about rights? Because everyone, you go on social media, everyone loves to talk about their rights. Everyone loves to talk about their rights. Left, right, top, bottom. They think they have all these rights. I've seen so many people say, I have a right to contraception. I have a right to, to more of your money. I have a right to an Obama phone. How many people actually focus in on their rights that are from your creator? And again, it doesn't matter who you think your creator is. That's irrelevant. It's nature's law. Everyone is born with these rights. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a theist, whether you're an atheist, or whether you believe a piece of paper gave you your rights. You have them. You were born with them. How can we have conversations with all people about how the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence is a large piece of the puzzle of how you come together and have conversations. Because here's the truth. Your Constitution is a wonderful document. Your Declaration of Independence is a wonderful document. Your Bill of Rights is superb. How many people actually know about the Declaration of Independence? And let's not just focus in on our friends on the left. How many people on the right know about it? How many people actually understand what was in the Declaration of Independence and certain words that they don't really follow? How many people? How many people actually know? Just focus in on your conservative and Republican friends. It's always easy to focus in on the left and the enemy because they just don't get anything right, according to a lot of my friends and a lot of people who listen to this. So let's, if that's true, then don't focus on them. Let's focus in on your own people, the people who are on your side, quote-unquote. How many people actually know about the Declaration of Independence? I see so many people talking about winning today. Do you think the 54 signers of the Declaration of Independence cared about winning? Do you think they ever got to see winning? Go research some of them. They didn't. They endured horrific consequences for that, for that little action of signing America's Declaration of Independence that we all take for granted today. How many people understand the Constitution? You see so many people going, I'm a constitutionalist. Then why is it you haven't got the foggiest idea of Article 1, Section 8 of your Constitution? One of the things I'm trying to do, and I'm going to be honest with you today about a lot of things, I'm a bit frustrated. I don't know how to have these conversations with people. Because I, I see people wrapping themselves up in the Constitution, and it's clear they haven't got a clue about the Constitution. They, they just seem to have this vision of it, or maybe they think it's cool. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution has 18 clauses in it, denumerated powers. Last week I did a show on gun control, on why gun control should never be the answer. Why the Second Amendment is sacrosanct. The amount of people who I have conversations with, a few publicly and a few privately, the reason I have private conversations with people is because of one reason. Because if I have them on Facebook or on Twitter, a lot of people will get involved 
and it just turns into a slagging match very quickly. I try and have engage with people and have conversations privately where it's just me and one person or me and two people having a conversation and addressing their concerns and trying to break down principles. The amount of people who quote-unquote were Republicans last week who identified and are, are Republicans, they have been a long time, and conservatives who said something along the lines of, I am a big defender of the Second Amendment. I love the Second Amendment. But. There's always that but. It's like, do you read, have you read the, 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 the Second Amendment? Let's not even go to Bill of Rights. Have you read the Second Amendment? Have you understood what is in there? The right to bear arms. If you've read the Bill of Rights, and let's just go to Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments. Forget about the other amendments. There was only one amendment that they said, your founders said, were so critical that they said, okay, so we've got the First Amendment. We have the right to free speech, the right to freedom of religion, the right to freedom of press, the right to freedom of assembly, and the right to petition your government. Five rights in the First Amendment. Then they went to the Third Amendment, which is which I always find funny. Because it's, it's the one, I think it is the one amendment in the Constitution where it's like, but a, a law can overcome it. Well, you're not allowed to do this unless Congress passes a law. You got the Fourth Amendment. You got the Fifth Amendment. You got the Sixth. You read through all the amendments, and then you read after the ones afterwards, which we can get to in another time. The Second Amendment, they said, was so critical. They said, you know what? This is so important. We know it's so important. I think people will, if we just say, you know, you have the right to bear arms, people will change that. You know, times will change. We need to put a little, a little bit of emphasis on this one. Shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed. There are people who went, yeah, I, I love the Second Amendment, but. I love the Second Amendment, but. I started this monologue by asking you, what defines you? The reason I asked that question is to lay the groundwork for what I want to talk to you about in the upcoming segments. Because so many people today, I think, are defined by their politics. They're defined by the party they are in. They're defined by the president. And stuff that they don't either haven't thought about or weren't passionate about, but would have been against two, three, four years ago, have changed. I've seen conservatism change for the last 15 years. I remember... Let me just focus in on when this year. I remember being a conservative back under George Bush. I remember supporting conservative candidates who went who had this radical idea of actually cutting government. And I don't mean cutting government that you know of today. I mean actually cutting 5, 10, 20% of the budget. Actually cutting it and reducing spending. So they would spend less. The reason I'm emphasizing these words now is because conservatives today... When you hear them, if they talk about cutting the government, it's actually not about cutting the government. It's cutting the size and scope of how much the government grows. So let me give you some simple, just to give you numbers. Let's say 15 years ago, if the government spent $1 trillion and they said, we need a 10% cut, they would spend $900 billion. 10% cut. When you see conservatives today, if for that $1, bit, that $1 trillion, they might say, well, look, the liberals have got together and the republicans have got together. They now want to spend $1.1 trillion. But we want to cut government because we're conservatives. We only want to spend $1.05 trillion. But that's not a cut. Oh, but it is a cut. It, we just don't want to grow it as much as everyone else. We need to cut government because we're conservatives. No, again, that's not cutting government. That's growing government. You're just selling it as a cut. Conservatism has changed. What defines you? Does the label conservative define you? Does who's in the White House define you? Does the GOP define you? Or do we get to a point where logic and reason are defining us and a set of principles which remain tried, tested, and true? When we come back, I want to talk to you about tariffs and economics. And I'm going to make this extremely simple. I don't want it to be... I've heard some, some people talk about it this week and it's made... Some people's eyes glade over. I'm going to make it very simple for you to understand. So bear with me, and I'm going to make the case for free market economics and why tariffs 
are never a good thing and why they hurt you, the individual person. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. You uh-huh. in business and first class get to walk back. Ah, uh, but they do not get to walk up. Oh, no, that's bad. <laughs> Now listen, kids, I want to see you up here, but, but you can't. They won't let me. You can't. They so won't. this curtain here, you can't come past. You can't. I'll come back and see I'll you. I'll see you in a little When bit. I just... have time. <laughs> Good. Until then, you just stay with your mom. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple, on demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to talk to you about tariffs. But before we do, I want to lay the groundwork of economics for you. You know, if you listen to politicians long enough or you study enough of their ideology, you actually understand some of their words are quite similar. One of the set phrases that unites conservatives, communists, even Donald Trump spoke about it, everyone in between. They're for the people. You look at what Donald Trump did in the election, he was for the people. You listen to people who hadn't been listened to in quite a while. You look at the conservatives, we the people. You look at communists, we want power to the people. We want fairness. The reason I'm a big supporter of free market economics is because Quite simply put, it gives the power to the people. There's no need for middlemen. There's no need for politicians. There's no need for bureaucrats. There's no need for presidents or prime ministers to equal the playing field. You do that. And you hold that power with the almighty dollar. Or in my case, the almighty euro. One of the questions I want to start today with on economics is, and I'd ask you to visualize it. If you have your wallet on you, take out your wallet. And take out any currency you have. Just look at your wallet. Do you have a few dollars in it? Do you have a one, a five, a ten, twenty, fifty, hundred? If you've got a hundred, you're lucky. Look at that currency. I did it. I'm actually holding a... I'm rich. I'm very rich. I'm very, very rich. I'm holding five euros which on the current exchange rate is about six bucks. That's all I have. I don't carry much cash. Now, if you don't have cash, look at your car- look at your wallet and think of a credit card and how much access to funds you have on your credit card or look at your, your checking account or look at your, you know, your visa debit and see how much money you have. Just visualize that money. And I want to ask you a question about that money. Who controls it? Who has possession of it? I want to specify the question is, who controls it and who has, who has access to it? Not who owns it, because that's currency. Because the answer when I always give this question, everyone always thinks I'm saying who owns it, and it's the federal government. It's issued by the federal government. The Federal Reserve controls it. Who controls it? Who has access to it? There are only two ways you can really answer this. And the third, if you want to really be specific and break option two into, into, into pieces. Option one is you control it, 100%. You have access to that money for some reason. Either you are a businessman or woman, and you had some product or service you knew people wanted and people bought it from you, and you now have that money in your wallet because of that business. Because you're an employee and of a certain business who had a product or service and you got wages because of it. Because you're an investor, you invested in the stock market and did well, you have that money. Because you're, you have a retirement plan, you have that money. But it's your money. You own 100% of it. Option two is, 
It's not really your money. You don't really control it. Now, what happens is the government, it, the government really owns all of that money. But what you have in the wallet now, I suppose in some ways it's yours. It's just it's what the government said they didn't want or that, that you could keep. But the government owns all money. And government's laws can change every year. If government says it needs 90% of your money next year, well, then 90% of their money is of your money is theirs. Because they really own it. They could take 100% of it. They could take 10%, 100%, 50%. can change from year to year. It's their money. You don't own it. They, what you have is all they said they didn't want or to let you keep. If you want to get into real Pacifics, I'm diving down into that. It's, it's a hybrid. I've heard this people, you know, well, what you're doing is, as society is, you know, your responsibilities is, and, you, you know, you sign a, a social contract where you earn a certain amount of money and you pay a certain amount of tax and it's your money, but, you know, you give the government money. In, fa- in theory, that's the same as option two. It's just worded differently. Full disclosure, I believe in option one. I believe it's your money. I don't believe you own it because it's, that's the Federal Reserve and that's the currency. If you have dollars, let's just use dollars, it's easy. Whatever dollars you have, all you have is a piece of paper saying it's worth a dollar, worth $5, worth $10. They own the currency. It's not your currency. Unless you're going to set up a, a new dollar that's the, you know, the bank of John. doesn't work that way. And if everyone set up their own banks. So they own the currency. But the note you have is yours. You earned, you earned it. You worked for it. That is the simple aspect of money. Who owns it? Who actually controls it? It's why if you hear you know, this phrase, you hear a lot of libertarians say, taxation is theft. Because they believe the money in your wallet is yours. And it doesn't change on the criteria. It's not like, well, the money in your wallet is if you earn $50,000, the money's yours. If you earn up to $100,000, some of it's yours and some of it's the government's. If you're a millionaire and a billionaire, i.e. in Baltimore, if you earn more than $100,000, that's all the government's. You don't need that. You don't need that much money. The answer's the same. Taxation is theft. It's a principle. It's not a dollar sign. It's a principle. So why did I say I wanted to talk to you about tariffs and started out with who owns money? Free market economics gives you the power. You have the power with your dollar. Whether you have a dollar, whether you have five dollars, whether you have a hundred dollars. It's up to you what you spend it on. Do you want to go buy a house and you, you want to pay a chunk of your money to a mortgage? You have that right. You get to decide where you go. You get to decide where you buy your house, what size house you buy, what type of land it is, what who the realtor is. You're, you're in control. If you do not like the house or you don't like the size of the house or you don't like the realtor, you have the power to go to another one. Free markets. Likewise with your shopping. How you decide to spend your money is up to you. What tariffs are, and I'll get to the steel tariffs in a minute, what tariffs are is accepting a government's involvement in trade. Let's just take some examples of some purchases I make. I live in Ireland. My mother and and myself at different times like German ham. There's a different taste to it, and it's really nice. I live in Ireland. I have money. I earn through my job. My mother earns through her job. How many people are involved in that transaction? I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. When you believe in free trade, the only people who are involved in that is, me, I have my money, I want to go buy that German ham. The German supplier, he went... He obviously has a feeling that, you know, Irish people really might like my product. And the, the store that stocks it, the store I go to, it's similar to a Walmart. They stock it. That's the only people involved in that transaction. When you are open to tariffs, what you're saying is, you know what? That exact transaction. It's not up to you, just you or your mother 
or the store that, that stocks the ham, or the German manufacturer and the supplier who thinks he could make some money in Ireland. There's a lot more people involved in that relationship. What's involved in that relationship is, well, there's the politicians. The politicians have a say in that relationship as well, John. But also, the politicians, what the Irish politicians think of the German politicians. What's the relationship between Ireland and Germany? I don't know. I don't care. I want to buy German ham. I like it. It tastes nice. But John, how, what's our trade balance like with Germany? I don't care. I want to buy German ham. I like German ham. But John, we buy more from Germany than Germany buys from us. I don't care. I like German ham. But John... Germany, Germany, Germany had Germany used to be Nazi country. You don't like Nazis. Again, I don't care. I want German ham. I really like German ham. Why what part of I want German ham and I'm willing to spend money on German ham? Do you not understand? What you have is a situation where people are involved in your business. I say this all the time. My philosophy is very simple. Leave people the hell alone. If someone wants to buy German ham and they are not taking from the government, have at it. That is free market economics. But John, what's wrong with Irish ham? Do you not like Irish ham? Are you not patriotic? <coughs> Excuse me. You're not patriotic. Do you not like Irish ham? Ireland first. I do. I like Irish ham. Irish ham is nice. Today, I just want German ham. These are some of the arguments that you see, and I'm breaking it down to its simplest level for you, because these are the arguments that you see in promotion of tariffs. Now, what happens? Let's get to the steel industry with Donald Trump. Donald Trump has finalized an agreement to input a tariff on both steel aluminium products coming into America. What do you think is going to happen? What's going to be the impact of that? A lot of people think, ah, look, John, you." I've had people tell me this week, John, you're overestimating the, the impact of this. This is not a big deal. It is a big deal. I'm going to tell you why. It's a very big deal. I'm going to tell you it's a big deal from an ideological point of view, and I'm going to tell you why it's a big deal from an economic point of view. First, the, the ideology point of view. I don't know what label you would assign to me, because labels mean nothing to me, but I'm probably a hybrid between a conservative and a libertarian. And I mean that in a traditional sense. I do not mean that in a 2018 sense. Because I don't like a lot of conservative leaders, and I sure as hell don't like libertarian politicians. But ideology, that's where I'll be where I am. Leave people alone. Let them decide. Every aspect of that ideology traditionally has said limited government, less taxes, more freedom, more responsibility. Well, what you have with tariffs is more government, a new tax, less freedom, and more power to the government. How is that consistent with conservative and libertarian ideology? Forget Trump. This, this is nothing to do with Donald Trump. This is nothing to do with steel and aluminium. This is just a general ideological point. How is that what you have stood for? I remember in the conservative movement, we used to have a saying which we used to say all the time. Ronald Reagan's old saying, the most frightening words around, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Well, that is what you're promoting when you're starting for tariffs. If you're standing and supporting tariffs, you're saying we need more government involvement. But let me go a step further back from an ideological point of view. Let me bring you back, oh, I don't know, centuries ago, a long, long, long way back to 2007 when George Bush was president. Those of us who were conservatives and who were Tea Party people before the Tea Party was formed officially, when jo what was our biggest issue with George Bush? It was bailing out the banks. Too big to fail. That it wasn't government's job to decide winners and losers. 
This was a conservative position. Now, again, if you're a Republican, you mightn't have had this position in 2007. So it's not entirely inconsistent that you mightn't have this opinion in 2018. But we, that was our biggest problem. Everyone loves to focus on the Tea Party starting up under Barack Obama. It didn't. It started under George Bush. My great awakening was George Bush saying, I have to destroy the free market to save the free market. It doesn't work. You are now, if you are supportive of tariffs, you are now saying government has a role to decide who wins and who loses. It just so happens that because of tariffs and because of the tariffs being discussed, it's more international. Well, I, we need to defend an American company. Okay, which brings me to my next ideological point. We stood for eight years under Barack Obama, speaking about free market economics. And we said, what the government needs to do is get out of the way and reduce and simplify the tax code. What happened to those people? What happened to all these people who, who thought that? Now we're all of a sudden for tariffs? We want more government, more taxes? If you really think American companies have a problem, and they don't in the steel industry, they have three quarters of the steel used in America is produced by an American company. That's, a, that's pretty much a monopoly. That's a stat I haven't heard many people say this to, apart from my colleagues on the blaze. Stu said this several times. The only one. Outside of the blaze, I haven't seen that stat anywhere. Now on to the economic issues with tariffs. What do you think would happen if I said to you, I'm going to put a tariff on your, poly, on your, on your steel and aluminium? What do you think you're going to do? You're just going to go, well... I guess that's okay then. Now what happens is, trade wars start. You tax us, we'll tax you. Europe is talking about taxing things like Jack Daniels. Starting to tax different pharmas, pharmaceutical companies. What happens, ultimately, in a trade war? Politicians actually kind of like trade wars. I don't know whether Donald Trump does. He seems to be very open to them. He's spoken about them for a long time. All that happens in a trade war is the consumer, i.e. me and you, gets screwed. Because where we are asked to pay for something, you're not asked to pay for what it's worth. You're asked to pay what it's worth plus a government tax. So if something's worth a dollar, you've got to pay a dollar five, a dollar ten, a dollar twenty. Because 20% 20 tax and steal, according to these new tariff plans. You, as a consumer, get screwed. But also, let's just focus in on steel and aluminium. Think of a product that you buy that has a large chunk of steel. A building. A car. Right? What do you think is going to happen if you have a tariff? All of a sudden, those products that might not get built. Because the tax has increased the price of it. And a company now has to spend more on taxes. Even though we thought we just celebrated the, the Trump tax cuts a couple of months ago going, less taxes is wonderful for companies. If they want to build a new building, they want to extend. They might not be able to do it now. Which will hurt contracting companies. Will hurt contractors. Will hurt research and development. It has a knock-on effect. People may not be able to do what they were hoping to do because of these tariffs in America. But you also have the other companies who are going to be affected. If somebody goes, like, let's just take Jack Daniels. That was one of the companies named. Jack Daniels Whiskey. The jobs potentially affected there because of a, tra a Trump tariff is incredible. So you, say, you might save jobs in the steel industry, but you might lose jobs elsewhere. But then you'll just do another tariff there to stop there to save American jobs. And then another tariff will come elsewhere. The only reason trade wars work, and they have never worked, but they're popular and they're continuously dis discussed, is because it's a covert way to make you feel your country's better, and it's a covert way of getting more of your money. But I want to deal with one last point in this, because this is a line I have heard 
over and over again this week, last week, last two weeks. But John, you're wrong about trade wars. You're wrong. You're 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 barking up the wrong pre with Trump, and you're lying when you say Trump is starting a trade war. You're lying, John. The other countries do this. We're just Trump is just fighting back. Do you understand what you just said? Again, this is only for an ideological point of view. If you want to just win and have policies, what I'm about to say to you means absolutely nothing to you. Other people who are teed off at America's position right now and, and don't like the fact, you know, I say you need to be a leader, are not going to like what I'm about to say. Here's the simple truth. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's fair or not, America has been the leader in this world for the longest time. America is the country which talks about freedom. Ireland doesn't talk about freedoms. It wraps, It might mention the word freedom, but it's usually it's socialism, it's utopianism. It's big government, it's statism. Britain doesn't talk about freedoms. Europe doesn't talk about freedoms. Australia doesn't talk about freedoms. Traditionally, the only country that has spoke about God-given freedoms and the role of government and how rights come from your creator, not government, is America. Likewise, on this issue, the only people who have ever come close to free market economics is America. So what you've just said to me is this. This is effectively what you've said, and this is a carte blanche policy. John, I like this policy and this principle, but I'm only going to do this principle when everyone else does it. I'm only going to act this way when everyone else does it. Well, then how are you a leader? That just makes you a follower. That doesn't, make you, that doesn't make you unique or exceptional. That just makes you one of many. If everyone follows the same rules, then I will do those rules as well. But because they're not following those rules, I'm going to follow theirs. If you believe in free trade, you cannot be for free trade when it only suits you. Well, I'm for free trade. I think free trade is wonderful. But I'll only be for free trade when people are open to free trade with us. If they're for tariffs and protectionist policies, I'm not going to be for free trade with them. You're either for principles or you're not. I'm sorry to tell you this. I don't see how you can have this hybrid model of I'm for principles when they suit me, but not for principles when they hurt me. Especially when you're talking about eternal ones that are true. They're consistent with time. I've tried to break this down to its simplest core for you this week. Because what you're seeing right now is an openness to protectionist policies, which historically have never worked. I've issued this challenge for over 10 years on this issue. And I issue it today again to prove me wrong. If you can find any set of countries, it doesn't even have to be America involved, any set of countries during any time period, I'm not limiting you, I'm not saying the last 10 years, last 20 years, any time period who engaged in a trade war that did not end in a total disaster for both countries, prove me wrong. Because every trade war ends in disaster. Why? Because the government gets more power, it gets more money, and it stifles innovation. It just takes more money from the people who then have less money to, to invest, to save, to live, to have a disposable income, to maybe invest in the stock market. You're taking more and more money out of the economy. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we did a show where I explained why the Dow Jones is going through a period of instability. Remember when I said this to you? If you I think it was about three or four weeks ago. It's got, remember I linked to the household budget and I said there's only a certain amount of money it is competing for. With cryptocurrencies and other investments, they're taking away from the stock market. And then you have this potential bill of looking for a trillion dollars in debt. That's taking from the stock market. Now what's happening? The tariffs have come along and they're saying we're, are, we're competing harder and harder 
to get money into the stock market. We're now competing against our own people. Instead of having people going, I want to invest in money, people are kind of going, the stock market's now competing not just against cryptocurrencies, not against other stock markets. It's now competing against a potential trillion-dollar deficit this year, which the, the Treasury has said it needs to fund, and now potentially a tariff. Money, disposable income, is getting eaten and eaten up by your government, which is hurting your stock markets. This is why tariffs are not a good idea. But it all boils down to one question. Who owns the money in your wallet? Because if you believe you own it, a tariff is reprehensible. If you believe that's your money, you worked hard, or you innovated, or you have a business, and that's your money, you should spend it the way you want. That is the idea of free market economics. If you don't believe that, everything I've just said is hogwash. If you believe the government actually controls that money and it just decides what you can keep, well then it's totally natural and consistent for you to be open to tariffs and policies and protectionist policies. Because you're saying the government controls everything. So if the government controls your very soul and your very being and the very dollar you have in your, in your wallet, then it's entirely consistent that it can control your purchases. It can control what countries you buy from, especially if, you know, depending on the relationship. Well, what's our relationship like with that country? What's our trade balance like with that country? The choice is liberty versus tyranny, freedom versus control. Which do you choose? And do you define to be, do you just choose to be defined by your ideology and by your principles? Or do you choose to just be, well, look, it's the Republicans in power now. They have the House and the Senate. Let's just go along to get along. Let's just not rock the boat. Your words or your silence define you right now. Don't go anywhere, because when we come back, I want to share a letter that I got with you that called me out and showed you how much of a hypocrite I am. I'm going to share that letter with you, and I'm going to respond when we come back after this break. Don't go anywhere, America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media, Twitter at Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 or you can get me on my website, www.freedomsdisciple.com. Get in touch, send me a message, either in support or, or if you have major issues with me or you, you want to discuss a certain topic with me where you think I'm wrong, by all means. Um, get in touch, I'll engage with you the only reason I'll stop engaging with you is if you get hateful or insulting or you threaten me but generally even if you tell me I'm wrong and full of BS I'll engage with you and I'll have a great conversation with you which brings me to this letter so a couple of weeks ago I spoke about CPAC I spoke about building a big tent and this person and I, I can't read for I can't read verbatim what this person said word for word because um, we just it's not what we do at The Blaze, but also it's, it's not what this show stands for, and there's a lot of not nice language in this, but let me give you the general gist of it. John, you're a hypocrite. I've listened to your show and don't agree with much that you say, but listen all the time. I was appalled at your position on Donald Trump. I think that's kind of key. Likewise, I was appalled a couple of weeks ago when you called Laura Ingram out on your show for when she rightfully called out LeBron James. You are a hypocrite, sir. You dare call out someone like Laura Ingram who's defending our great president. Yet I went through your social media and I have yet to see you call out the fascist Nazis that are Facebook. Why are you telling someone who's standing up for a president to be silent and to shut up? I didn't, but let's just get to another point. 
let's continue on with this point, but are silent when Facebook is silencing others. I know you won't have the courage to address this or to reply to this. And there was quite a few other insults in between. That's me reducing down a longer letter. So first things first. Let's set the record straight, shall we? I never told Laura Ingram to shut up. I don't think I even mentioned her name in the show. I didn't mention her comments. I mentioned her comments because I don't find them helpful. Does Laura Ingram have a right to say whatever she wants? Laura Ingram can say whatever the hell she wants. I don't care. I just don't think she's going to be that successful at making big changes if you're telling people to shut up. If your language is shut up and dribble, as I said at the time, I don't know anyone who's independent or moderate who's going to go, yeah, I'm with her. I want to explain something to you about me because I think this needs to be expressed. My job here is not to talk to you about politics or to get you to vote a certain way or to try and influence you. I'm not a political person. When I was a political person, I was really sucked at it. And how I know I really sucked at it was because every politician I wanted to get elected didn't. Even people I thought had a really good chance didn't. So I cleared the record on my my politics life is clear. I sucked. I thought I saw really good candidates. I sucked. They lost. They lost bigly, to quote your president. I'm not here to talk to you about politics. I'm here to talk to you as an ideologue. I am an ideologue, and in many ways, I'm a purist ideologue. I don't, there's certain things you will never change my mind on. I have thought about the issues, a lot of issues very deeply and in very simple terms and in very complex terms. I am here as an ideologue to make the case for things that are, whether they're popular or unpopular, whether the left goes against it or the right goes against it, I don't care, I am an ideologue. That is what defines me, my ideology. I don't care what Laura Ingram does. I just don't think... You're going to get people along to stand with you in the long term by telling people to shut up and dribble. And this is not a lower Ingram thing. I would say this about anyone. If your message is telling someone else to shut up, I think you're doing it wrong. Now, I know people might say, well, how can you say Laura Ingram won't be too successful? Look at her. She's on Fox News. She's got a radio show. Who are you to call her out? I'm not calling her out. If, you, if, you, if your numbers are your thing, and that's all you care about on ratings, Laura Ingram is a billion times more successful than me. I have no problem with that. I'm a different person. I'm not better than her. I'm not saying that. But if your message is to someone, shut up and dribble, I think that's intellectually lazy of you. I think it's missing an opportunity to have a discussion. It's even missing an opportunity for you to win a debate if that's what you're all about. If your message is shut up and dribble, I don't see how you grow, how you change. But let's get on to free speech, shall we? Because what I have seen lately is I see all these memes from people on social media. Fascist Facebook. Facebook I've been in Facebook jail. And I can't say certain things. I've even been horrified over the last couple of weeks, that several people, and I've tried to engage unsuccessfully, who think, you know what we need to do? Because Facebook is silencing conservatives. You know this, right? What we need to do is we need to make Facebook a public utility and then the First Amendment applies. I'm going to say this bluntly to you, and I've been saying it subtly for you, to you for about a month now. Conservatism needs to understand what it's for. It needs to define itself again very quickly. Because the road conservatism seems to be open to right now is not a good one. If you're looking at Facebook and you're upset about Facebook, here's a simple tip. You don't pay anything a large percentage of you. Don't use it. The reason I don't speak out against Facebook is because I see Facebook as a net benefit to society. And also, considering... 
No, I've actually paid Facebook money. Excuse me. I paid Facebook money, but on my pub uh, for my public account for a like page to promote certain articles. You pay money to to get them more visibility. But for my page that I use my my Jonathan Dunn page, I've never paid one cent for that. I've met so many people through Facebook. It's wonderful. I engage with you wonderfully. I have Messenger. I've never paid them a penny. And yet you want me to slam them? And your answer to them silencing you is make them a public utility so the government can regulate them? How is that conservatism? How is that anywhere near conservatism, limited government, pro-freedom, pro-responsibility? I think regulating Facebook will be a horrific idea. If Facebook, as a public company, wants to silence conservatives, do you know what the conservative solution should be to this? Go find a conservative Facebook. Or go set up a social media that says, we have every voice. I don't care who you are, what you are. You're welcome on our platform. How about that? I am silent on Facebook because I don't see it as a big issue. Does it frustrate me? Sure. Do I feel for some of the companies that I've seen had a you know have major problems because Facebook is limiting their reach? Absolutely. But when people face problems, it's who you look to for the solutions. I look to I don't look to government for the to level the playing field. I don't look to government as the solution. I always see government as the problem. I don't see regulations as my best friend. I don't see rules as my best friend. I look to that and I go, okay, someone has to find a way around it. It's up to you to get people back to your site. Would it be nice if Facebook operated in a less hostile environment to to conservatism? Sure. Would it be nice if Hollywood did that? Sure. But they have a thing called freedom. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and his board of directors are free to run Facebook the way they want to run Facebook. And if you don't like it, don't use it. There's no one putting a gun to your head saying you have to use Facebook. If you don't use Facebook, you're in you're in violation of, of your citizenship, in violation of the Constitution. Don't use it. It's a simple, wonderful idea. I had to address this head on this week because of a couple of reasons. I am really concerned where conservatism is going. And the only people who will control where conservatism is going is you. Not by politicians, it'll be by you. If conservatism turns into, well, we need government to regulate and to level the playing field, if conservatism turns into an ideology that is open to European-style conservatism, then I'm no longer a conservative. I don't wish you harm. I don't wish you will. I'm just not going to stand with you. Because what you think conservative means and what I think it means are two very different things. And again, let me be blunt. Your type of conservatism is just as far away from me ideologically point of view as the Democrats are. That's how far away you are. There is no common ground or very little common ground. Because if you're looking to government for the answers, that's a form of statism. And again, while I wish you no harm and I don't see you as my enemy, I don't look to government that way. If America and the world is going to survive, it's going to have to be through each and every one of us standing for freedom, making the argument. But making the argument with logic, reason and principles. Not on labels, not on races and genders, not on trying to define us by you know who, what sports team we support. It's actually by principles. Principles are eternal. I wish I could say these were Irish principles or European principles. They're not. They're not even American principles. They're traditional, eternal principles. We must share them. Because as Ronald Reagan used to say, 
If not you, who? If not now, when? Now is the time, if you've never stood for freedom publicly, now is the time I might want to consider. It's going to be hard, it's going to be tough. But it now is the time to stand. Because freedom is losing this war. It's losing this battle, and it's losing the war. Because more and more people who used to be open to freedom are slipping right now. One proof of that? And I'm not going to make this about Donald Trump. Look at the GOP House and look at the GOP Senate. What have they done in 15 months? So many of you I know, because I know I engage with many of you who listen. I know how hard you fought in 2010 to get the House. The blood, the sweat, the tears, the money. You put up with all the abuse. I know how hard you fought in 2010 to get John Boehner the House. Likewise, I know how much you fought and you kicked and you screamed in 2012, even though Mitt Romney wasn't your guy to beat him. You came up short. I know how much you, you kicked and you screamed and you battled and all the phone calls and all the emails you sent in 2014 to get the Senate. And I know how much you did in 2016. My question to you is, what freedoms have you got back? What freedoms have you got back? Is the Constitution more secure today than it was 18 months ago? If so, how? Point it out to me. You have Republicans now open to, to infringing on the Second Amendment. No one knows what's in the Bill of Rights. No one even talks about free speech zones anymore. We're going to be talking about this and more over the coming weeks. But if you want to get involved, or you've ever thought about getting involved, because the freedom needs all the voices it can get right now. And even if it's just among your family and your friends, please consider getting involved. Because if not you, who? If not now, when? I hope today's show has given you something to think about. Apologies for my voice. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, on The Blaze, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio and Stitcher. We salute the police, the firefighters, the emergency personnel and your vets. And most importantly, we salute you, the American people. If America is to survive and America is to prosper, it's up to you. Not Donald Trump, not the GOP, not the Democrats, you. Have a beautiful and blessed week and God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.